Hi, Keith here. I want to take a second to thank you for tuning in and to thank those of you who've been kind enough to support this podcast with your donations. If you like what you hear, I want to invite you to join John from Celebration Florida, Hope from West Hollywood, and Charles from Mid-City LA in supporting this podcast. It's your support that keeps us going. Every penny you share with us goes right back into making this podcast the best it can be. Head over to livefromtheloungepodcast.com and click the donate button to share with us. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Hey there. Welcome to the lounge. Hope your spring is bouncing along. This month, we're exploring May flowers, the explosion of growth and color that comes this time of year. It's a veritable technicolor dreamland out there. I hope you'll get out and enjoy it. And I hope you'll take us with you as we lounge together for the next hour or so. We've got stories and songs and conversations all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. A little later, I'll share with you how a children's game unlocked the meaning of May for me. John Ballinger and Double Batch Daddy will help us groove with the flowers, the fire, and the peace that comes in May. We'll hear from a pair of teachers who identified what students in inner-city Los Angeles really needed from their education and explore how they created a whole new vision of public school to satisfy it. The lounge players drop in on a Mother's Day luncheon like no other, and I'll talk with Ruby Farley about an appropriately flower-filled film, and we'll pair it with unique and colorful recipes fresh from the garden. The Flower Garden. So, here we are. The merry little month of May. Sunrise in Los Angeles today came at 5.55 a.m., and it won't set until 7.42 this evening. The merry little month of May is a misnomer, I think. May's a big month. It's time we turn away from cold, hard winter and point ourselves firmly in the direction of heat and growth. And May isn't waiting around for anybody. May gets busy right out of the gate. It's got too much to accomplish. May Day celebrations commence on its very first day with children dancing around the Maypole during the warm, sunny day and the adults dancing around epic bonfires at night. So what if there's still a wee chill in the air? We're staying outside, damn it. We're going to sing and dance and through the force of fire, we'll put cold winter weather to rest and look forward to the heat that is to come. The fragile spring blooms of April have fallen away from the trees, and we watch as they begin the process of producing fruit. It won't be long now, and we'll have cherries and peaches, apricots, plums, and nectarines. The sticky, juicy fruit of the summer is on its way. It's time to let the animals out of the barn to feast on the growing green grass. Watch as the calves and foals gain strength and start to move away from their mothers to become parents themselves. Speaking of which, we honor our mothers in May. The ones who taught us to walk and talk and listen and reason and fight. The ones who protected us when we were fragile and later 
encouraged us to find the strength to stand on our own. We honor our teachers this month, those who taught us the practical lessons of reading, writing, and figuring, but not only that. Sure, we had to learn how to calculate the area of a sphere and how to structure a sentence that's clear and concise, but don't forget about those who taught us how music works and why stories make us feel a certain way. And what about the ones who showed us how the heart pumps blood around our body and how buildings get made and how to fold paper into the shape of a frog? Not to mention the pastors, rabbis, Buddhas, and imams who guide us inward to a deeper connection with each other and the cosmos. Teachers are everywhere, and we honor them. Here in America... We finished the month remembering those whose lives were cut short by fighting in wars. Although, honestly, we tend to forget to remember the boys and girls who never got to become men and women in favor of taking a three-day weekend to feast and frolic near a cool body of water. And then there's Arbor Day, Pentecost and Shavuot. May is Barbecue Month and Blood Pressure Month. There's May the 4th Be With You, followed by Cinco de Mayo, Nurses Day, Limerick Day, Hummus Day, Fruit Cocktail Day, Buttermilk Biscuit Day, Whiskey Day, and we round out the month with the Indy 500 and Put a Pillow on Your Fridge Day. It's May 29th. Look it up. It's a busy month, May. All the plans we've been planting and carefully tending should be taking root, sprouting, and reaching for the sun. The great thing about growth, like bonfires and barbecue, is that there comes a point when our job moves from the hard labor of starting the process, tilling the soil, planting the seeds, chopping and stacking the wood, to standing back and tending to it as it grows. I hope you'll find something in this podcast that'll start a flame in your heart, and that you'll tend it as it grows warmer and fuller. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. But one desire
took place at a women's club located in a suburb just outside of, you know, I'm not exactly sure where they're located, uh, but their clubhouse is very nice and it's available to rent if you're looking for a location for a wedding reception or something like that. In any case, tonight, their annual Mother's Day banquet is underway. The kids and husbands are all at home. The women have finished a delicious meal. Now it's time for their keynote speaker. Let's check in on the festivities. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all enjoying the food. Um, I know it's getting a little late, and you're probably wondering when the show is going to start. I have good news, which is that I am not the speaker for tonight. We love you, Audrey. Aw, thank you. Well, in all our years together in the club, I think you all probably know how much I hate public speaking, but I am the chairman of the Mother's Day Banquet, and our speaker, Marjorie, is a little late. You all know Marjorie is our resident comedian, so I'm really hoping she arrives soon. You can't imagine how much I'm hoping. You're doing great, Audrey. Well, I did Google a joke for you all. Okay, let's see. So, apparently, carnation... No, wait, um... First, who got flowers today from their family? Okay, well, apparently carnations, sorry, red carnations are for living mothers and white carnations are for mothers who have passed away. So I got pink carnations, which I guess means I'm half dead. (laughs) The truth is I didn't get flowers this year. But I did get a card and pancakes. They were a little burnt. Sure. Right. Let's hear it. A round of applause for our husbands and kids. We wouldn't be mothers without them. You got that right. Marjorie, thank God. Yep, I made it. Okay, ladies, here comes my savior. Get up here, Marjorie. Sure, I guess I don't need to take off my coat or put my purse on. Please give a big welcome for Marjorie and... Trust me, if you haven't heard one of Marjorie's speeches before, get ready to laugh. Well, don't oversell me, Audrey. Hi. Hi, everyone. I did write a speech for tonight. Sort of comic observations about motherhood. I don't feel like giving that speech. I'm going to go a little off script here and just say, fuck Mother's Day. That's not a joke, actually, for those of you who are laughing. 
So I'm late because I had a catastrophe at my house. Oh. No, it's okay. Not like a real emergency. Just like the type of emergency that happens when I try to go out for the night and it lays bare that no one in my family knows how to do anything or even what needs to be done. I told you it wasn't funny. But you know what is hilarious? What I heard when I came in about giving a round of applause to our husbands. I mean, hilarious in a vomit-inducing sort of way. Let me tell you the things I had to do in the past hour or two so I could be here tonight. Number one, I had to cook dinner for my family, a full hot dinner. While I did that, I had a wrestling match with the cat to get her nightly pill down her throat. Then I fed her and scooped her litter. After asking three times, I dragged the recycling out to the curb by myself because I know I don't want to do that at 10 p.m. Let's see. I pulled together a poster board, old catalogs, magic markers, scissors, tape, glue for a project due tomorrow. Cleaned up the cat's barf, realized we were out of toilet paper, and ran to the store because that's another chore I don't want to do at 10 p.m. Rinsed out an empty peanut butter jar to put my grocery store flowers in because I just couldn't bear to watch them die any longer, and I knew no one else would put them in water. On my way out the door, I'm shouting instructions for how to heat up the dinner and knowing, just knowing, to the depths of my soul that all the dishes will be waiting for me when I get home. Hey, anyone else have a husband who calls watching his own kids babysitting? (laughs) Yeah, see? This is why I'm in no kind of mood for this Mother's Day nonsense. One day a year, you can keep it honestly. File it under too little, too late, along with International Women's Day. I think Marjorie could use a drink. (laughs) (laughs) No! No! You know Mother's Day is just a corporate marketing ploy. Everyone knows that by now, right? It's a Hallmark holiday. If we really love mothers as much as we say we do, maybe we'd give women more control over whether and when they become mothers and not make them sweat out how they're going to pay for it so much. And maybe we could acknowledge that our bodies are a lot and we need adequate health care. Here, here. No. This country, this world doesn't love mothers. It fetishizes them in a lazy way that doesn't require any real effort or thought. It's like a guy who goes to strip clubs and thinks he likes women. No, you like a very specific caricature of a woman who exists for your pleasure. Same thing with mothers. I'd like to say something. Audrey? Yes, I definitely need to say something to you, Marjorie. Well, if nothing else, I made a speaker out of Audrey. (laughs) May I have the mic, please? Wow, I created a monster. The power of bitching, ladies. (laughs) Yes, I hate public speaking. But if no one else is going to push back on this obnoxious, joyless buzzkill, well, I will. Please, the floor is yours. I came here to have a nice time with my friends. And yes, I did make dinner for my family before I came. Anybody not have to? Well, good for you. But if you didn't have to cook, were you still the one who had to make the arrangements? Did you order the pizza? I know when I get home tonight, I'll see dirty dishes left for me from a meal I did not eat. So what? So what? This is still a nice night out, isn't it? 
You're right that our families are aggravating. We love them, but most of us do way more than our fair share. Is that going to change in my lifetime before my kids are out of high school? Doubtful. So what do I do? Be angry all the time? Put all my energy into begging, nagging, and pleading? Go on strike? Or just give up? Do a ton of crap for them that they could and should do for themselves and be grateful that I have these people I love who I'm sure are contributing in their own way. Now, I know Mother's Day is a corporate marketing ploy in addition to being a paltry and deeply inadequate recognition, but damn it, it's all I'm going to get, and I don't need you to shit all over my special day. Yeah, yeah. Audrey, can I join you at the mic? I don't know. I'm just going to come up there, okay? Okay. I know I pissed you off. You're the chairman of this thing, and you worked hard on it, and I kind of ruined it, I guess. You didn't ruin it. I just... I kind of did. I I just want to say to all of you who are pissed off at me, or pissed off about the stuff I was talking about in my hilarious speech, I think we're on the same page. This is a special day. Right now, what makes it special is that I'm spending it with all of you who understand what a... Anyway, thank you, Audrey. From the bottom of my heart, with all sincerity, let me say to you and everyone here, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day! Well, I want to say to you, fuck Mother's Day. Fuck Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! Fuck Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! Fuck Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day! Fuck Mother's Day! And so the evening continued. For quite a few hours, actually. There were toasts and stories of love and anger. And more toasts. And when the moms got home, they all found dirty dishes waiting for them. Some of the moms poured a glass of wine and got to work... And some of the moms poured a glass of wine and drank it and went to bed. We'll be right back to celebrate National Teachers Week with a pair of educators who have succeeded in guiding inner-city students to colleges and universities by focusing on more than just test scores and academics. You know Al Gore is the former vice president of the United States, but did you remember that he's also an Oscar winner? The 2006 film An Inconvenient Truth won the Oscar for Best Documentary of 2006. In it, Mr. Gore presented a slideshow that explained the science behind climate change. In the 14 years since his Oscar win, Mr. Gore and his scientific advisors have been constantly updating that slideshow with the most current information on the science, on the insane weather events happening all over the world, but also on the positive changes taking place that give reasons for optimism. Now, what if I told you you could get your very own presentation of this new slideshow by someone personally trained by former Vice President Gore? What if I told you they could present to your club, church, community group, or any other gathering you could think of, small or large? What if I told you they could present it over Zoom and that they'd do it for free? Well, it's all true. 
And all you have to do to schedule a presentation is email your request to the Los Angeles chapter of the Climate Reality Project at laclimatereality at gmail.com. That's laclimatereality at gmail.com. And to learn more about all the other wonderful work happening in the L.A. chapter of the Climate Reality Project, visit www.laclimatereality.org. National Teacher Appreciation Week has just wrapped up, and it's my honor to introduce you to two of the best educators I know. For the record, my mother and my sister also make the list. Mike Herman and Sandy Drinkward have been great friends of mine for 25 years. We've raised our kids together, we camp together, we laugh a lot, and when the times were tough, they've been there for us. It's my sincere pleasure to share with you their story of creating the ALC Learning Community in the working-class neighborhoods just west of downtown Los Angeles. I think what I would love to start the conversation with is just knowing a little bit about when did you decide um, that you wanted to be a teacher? How did that come about? We'll start with with you, Mike. Uh, I decided I wanted to be a teacher when I was a student at UCLA. I was in the engineering program to be a civil engineer at UCLA. Uh, we were doing uh, youth group work with students in uh, Santa Monica, and I really didn't find myself excited about sitting behind a desk. Uh, and I really liked working with kids and, and students, and it felt like a natural uh, fit. What about you, Sandy? Um, well, my mom would say that every year I would tell her that I was gonna teach whatever grade I was in when I grew up. So. You know, first grade, I'm going to be a first grade teacher when I grow up. And I think it's because I'm one of those people who just always love my teacher, unless my teacher wasn't a great teacher. And I wanted to um, be that person. And did you always know that you wanted to teach high school? I, uh, I've always taught high school. I did work with middle school students with the youth group for a long time. And that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in terms of like content, like I've always been really strong in mathematics. And, and so that was a high demand area. So that kind of matched up. And since then, I've really enjoyed working on high school, especially the older high school kids. Sandy, you said you wanted to teach every grade that you came up through. Um, when did it sort of switch to knowing that you wanted to teach high school? When I moved to Los Angeles, I worked with middle school. So, um, and when I switched to high school, I remember telling Mike that, wow, I'm, have so much energy at the end of the day because I was because middle school kids are so wiggly, you know. Um, but I never did go back after that. Mike, you teach high level math. Well, I've taught basically every high school math class that has been offered at this point. But right now, I'm teaching algebra two. I'm teaching a class called uh, Transition to College Mathematics and Statistics, and then I'm teaching AP Calculus. And Sandy, what courses do you? My main credential is in English, so I teach. AP uh, English Literature, um, and I teach the the English equivalent of that college transition. It's called ERWC, Expository Writing and Reading course, and that is um, a course that's designed by the Cal States to help students transition from high school to college. I think where you chose to teach is also interesting. Um, you both said you, you studied at UCLA, you sort of ended up on the west side. Um, but now you teach closer to downtown Los Angeles um, in, in kind of an underserved neighborhood. Did you feel a calling to move in that direction? Um, yeah, I think we, um, 
we started going to a, a church, Emanuel Press, and decided to move to the area. And on, we honestly had no idea about where the neighborhood was, or we just found the closest high school and just applied. Prior to that, when we were doing our youth group, we were working in a, like a pocket, low-income community on mm -hmm. the west side. That's really um, where we started working with persons from, you know, low-income families. And that, so that was a passion of ours, uh, even before we started working at Belmont um, near downtown. You ended up at Belmont. Belmont. And during those years when, when you were teaching there, um, tell me about the, the issues you started to notice how that informed the choice to to do what you did later it was a school let's see if i can capture it you can check my numbers it was a school that um had about 5,500 students or so and we would have like three times as many freshmen as seniors um because uh people just weren't matriculating in 2003 we were sitting at uh the graduation and the principal at the time said something like, I can't remember the exact number, but he said, of these 600 and some graduates, 47 are going to a four-year college. And I was like, what? And why are we bragging about that? They should be way more. And I remember Mike looked at me and we had small children. I think I was pregnant. We had one, we had Noah. And he said, you want to start AVID, don't you? That program is uh, designed to support students to go to a four-year college, students whose parents and finances and things like that don't really um, support them going to a four-year school. And it's meant to really teach kind of the, the underlying secrets of school that isn't explicitly taught, but that if you grow up in a family where maybe your parents went to college, that you already have those inherently involved in how you are educated and how you learn. But when it comes to students, maybe that don't have that in their in their family structure, it's it's a it becomes a mystery. And so avid, the avid program, at least the way that we implemented it, was to kind of help kids bridge that gap. So what what sort of myths were you or or information were you bringing to the students that they may not have had? You start in the freshman year really teaching them um, study skills like note-taking, organization, how to do those things. And a lot of it is also helping them navigate um, not only the system, but also understanding their own strengths. So um, it's sort of about helping the family connect with the school system and, and the college system. But, but it's also about helping the school understand that these students want to go to college and that they need to take the right classes. And then you need to put these students in appropriate classes. And so we had to advocate for the students to make sure that they were taking the right classes. They were you know, making sure we were taking the right teachers as well, that they were learning and they were taking appropriate classes so that they could apply. There was a funny story that goes with that with our first years of AVID. Um, the counselor that was working with us in AVID at the time, she and I, uh, in the summer, we programmed all the kids well, then the kids learned that if they went to another counselor, the counselor would take them out of hard classes. A group of kids um, needed to take a certain upper division class, but it meant that they needed PE six period, but you couldn't have PE six period unless you were an athlete. So we put them in tennis. And then they're like, we don't play tennis. And I'm right. like, you do now. And uh, the counselor and I were sitting in this little counseling office and the kids were like, knocking on the door and we didn't answer. And they're like, we know you're in there. And um, we kept them in tennis. And it was so funny because when 
the kids were filling out the college apps. And I'm like, God, you played tennis four years? And she thought I was kidding. And she goes, it's your fault I played tennis for four years. They wanted to build a big school in downtown Los Angeles, near that underserved neighborhood, high population density, a lot of working class families. They needed schools. There weren't enough schools to house all of the students in the neighborhood. Right. So they were going to build this big complex that would be made up of a bunch of smaller schools. The, the structure was that you have, a, you have a, a large complex where you have students who are a part of one of four small learning communities. They would be a part of the whole school. There'd be one principal. There'd be these four smaller schools where students would uh, interact with each other. Maybe they would take classes with the other students from other small learning communities, but for the most part, they would be a part of their own small learning community that had a focus or a, an emphasis or a, a, a career path. Because we were losing a lot of kids. Like um, they were, it wasn't personalized enough. So the idea was to personalize education so that kids felt known. As a small learning community, we had to apply to go to Miguel Contreras. There were three more spots and ALC, our school, got one of the spots. So our school was kind of founded on the AVID program, but because the AVID program is like an elective, uh, we needed to expand to have a representation of all students, students with special needs, um, English language learners, those kids in the middle, gifted kids, you know, the whole uh, gamut. And I remember spending a lot of nights awake trying to come up with names for the school. And one night I was like, let's just name it what we want it to be. Let's name it academic leadership community. But I, I didn't put it in that order. I remember I was going like lack leadership, academic community, Cal. Oh, Cal's taken. Um, and so finally just decided, well, academics maybe is first and leadership is second and community third. So Talk a little bit about those things. Talk about academics, talk about leadership, talk about community. Well, so for academics, we wanted to provide a place where students can learn. We felt like that was essential to a school, obviously. And we wanted to provide opportunities for students to take advanced classes with support because a lot of the school, even at Belmont, the AP classes were exclusive. So we really wanted to create a, a place of you know, academic uh, integrity where students could be advanced regardless of their background and regardless of their history, they could say, I want to take that honors class. And we say, great, let's do it. We also wanted to have really strong, supportive relational teachers to support those academic classes. We felt like that was essential. Part of our vision was that, I think the part that means the most to me is, if our students um, after high school can have a career and a life and a family and a, a, the life that they want, after graduation, then the ALC has done their job. So that's where the community piece comes. And, and small was important too because of that, because if you have a large you know, 5,000 student school, community is hard to find. But if your school is only 450 students, community can be a lot easier to develop and be more consistent. The hub of our school is a class called Pathways. And um, that class is a cohort of kids and, and a teacher or two that spend four years together. The first year we call it foundations pathways in ninth grade. That's where we kind of uh, teach sort of the, the community uh, situation. Like we have certain practices that we share. We do community circles uh, weekly where the class sits in a circle and there's a topic of discussion and people share. Um, sometimes it's 
silly, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's um, related to current events, um, but it's a chance for that class to really get to know each other. I remember when um, Donald Trump was elected and we had in our community, there was, there was strong fear. And we just sat in a circle and kids cried and they shared. And you know, some of the kids who maybe didn't share from the gut you know, all the time, they knew that that was a space where they could. The second year of Pathways is called Academics. We start practicing for PSAT, SAT, whatever tests the students need. And then leadership in the 11th grade, and then a community um, focus in 12th. Um, what are some of the success stories that, that you've had? I mean, our first graduation was a, we almost doubled Belmont's success rate in college-going students. As an English teacher, I like the um, individual examples. I got a text message like three days ago from a student who graduated in 2007. And he, when he was a student, we had these little green papers that if you were tardy, you had to go get one. And he and his girlfriend were always tardy because they work super late at night. And he would come into my first period and he'd put it on my desk and he's like, why do they have to give me a green slip? It's like rubbing it in because I don't have a green card. And I'm like, we could gotta change the color of these slips. And he's like, no, no, I'm just kidding. The other day he sent me a text and it said, after all those years of getting green slips, I finally have a green card. And I thought you should be one of the first people to know. For me, that's what our school's about. Kids knowing that even years and years later, we celebrate them. It takes more than academics to make a great student. It takes leadership. And it takes community that sees each student as an individual with hopes and dreams that go beyond what a test score can tell you. Mike and Sandy approach each of their students that way. They challenge them, and they listen to them. They teach, and they relate. They push students forward, and they lift students up. They're an inspiration to me, and I hope they are to you, too. We'll be right back with dinner and a movie. With so many of us working from home, now is a great time to adopt a pet from L.A. Animal Services. With six animal service centers throughout the city, L.A. Animal Services has dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, turtles, guinea pigs, chickens, and more available for adoption and ready to join your family. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, consider fostering a cat or a dog for a couple weeks. There are huge benefits for the animals. Studies show that time in a house is a huge stress reliever for animals. Plus, you'll be able to get great networking photos and videos of your furry house guests during their stay. And when you go out to run errands or take walks, they'll be exposed to a whole new neighborhood of potential families. If you're lucky enough to already have a pet, LA Animal Services has lots of benefits for you and your furry friends. All city residents are eligible for multiple vouchers for free or low-cost spay and neuter services, and every month there are virtual advice sessions to help families with their questions, doggy dialogues, cat chats, and rabbit roundtables. And if you need assistance feeding your animal companion, you can make an appointment for the Pet Food Pantry in Van Nuys or South Los Angeles every Sunday from 1 to 4. To see adoptable pets and make appointments for services, Go to LAAnimalServices.com or call 888-452-7381. Hello there and welcome back. It's time now for dinner 
and a movie. I'm here with our resident culinary cinephile, Ruby Farley. What's up? It's so good to have you back. I'm so glad to be back. We have a lot of ground to cover today. A lot of good ground. Because May is a big month. We had a lot of discussions about what theme our movies should take. Of course, we started first with Mother's Day, and we started thinking about movies with moms, and there are a lot There's of a those. lot. A lot of good ones. A lot we of love really our moms. Ones. Or do we? Or do we? It seems like the movies that are about moms it's are true. often about conflict with moms. Yeah, it's true. The most recent mom film, which was a very well-received, was Lady Bird, of course. I think watching it with my mom in the theater was definitely a very special experience. There was one point in the movie when they're trying on dresses and she comes out and she's like, what do you think? And she's like, it's terrible. And, and, and I remember, I just remember, like, I remember my mom just like hitting me, smack, like, oh my God, that's us. And I was like, Shh, oh my God, that is us. I love that movie for so many reasons. Cause A, I grew up in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So all of the yeah. locations were like, oh, it's Cal Expo, that. the American yeah. River. And I had a kid who was getting ready to go to college. Right. Uh, so it just hit all of my sweet spots. Yeah. There's Joy Luck Club, The Incredibles. It's a really great well, mom. You got Elastigirl. And uh, don't forget Fargo. <laughs> Frances McDormand. I mean, having her as a mom, you know that some justice is about to get served. So we decided not to do mom movies. Then we started talking about teacher movies. Mm. Uh, of course, Mr. Holland's Opus mm. about the music teacher is a beautiful movie. Stand and Deliver. And of course, we were all set on Dead Poets Society. Well, yeah. It is a beautiful and life-changing movie. And really a way about men relating to men that you don't see on film every day. Ever. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before. I've never seen that type of connection to art and joy with young people. He's like, you need to get in touch with your soul. Yes. You get beauty. You get wonder. You get a chance to express yourself right. in big ways and you can woo women. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is a factor. That's a major factor major in that factor. movie. It's all the it hits all the sweet spots for guys. I guess it's true. A great teacher movie which we couldn't ultimately sit down and watch right. because we knew what was coming. It was it's too But we highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. You had a movie that you were advocating for all month, and I want you to take a moment to talk about Teacher's Pet. Oh, it hits all the marks. I remember watching it for the first time because I had seen Gary Baseman's artwork before. It's like one of my favorite styles. Yeah, it's like a distorted whimsy. Right. And you're kind of like, I'm enjoying myself, but I'm also kind of terrified. I loved, loved, hated this movie when I was a kid. And basically the premise is a young boy whose mom is a teacher. He has his like beloved dog who pretends to be a boy to come to school with him and learn like a normal boy. But his mom doesn't know this. She thinks that he's one of her students named Scott and he's like one of her star pupils. She loves him, but she doesn't understand that he's her dog. And so basically... She gets an award because she's such a good teacher and she wins this big vacation to Florida and she gets to take the principal's van, except the principal loves cats. There are no dogs allowed inside the RV, so they can't bring Scott. And so 
his dog is devastated. He's lying on the couch and he sees an ad for this crazy scientist who can turn animals into human beings. And he's in Florida. Of course. So he he finds a way to get to his owners at a pit stop. And he dresses up like Scott and he basically convinces his owners that he's this kid and that he's his parents allowed him to come on this trip with them and go with them in the RV. And they get to this place in Florida and he gets turned into a person by this crazy doctor. But he gets turned into a full grown man because he translates into dog years. <laughs> <laughs> oh hijinks ensue it's it's just it's it, and you can imagine it from there and so there's the the teacher element teacher there's element. the mom element absolutely but we ultimately took a little inspiration from that but absolutely because it's may the one thing that people think about in may more than anything else are flowers hmm. may flowers oh, april yeah. showers bring may flowers it's true. so we wanted to look for a movie where we could really dig into the floral mm, element. We could just enjoy that, yeah. And the teacher's pet, the Disney aspect, sort of led us to uh, the 1951 classic Alice in Wonderland. Is there anything else that could compete with the beauty of nature? You could just point and, a camera yeah. at beautiful oh, nature. Sure. People do it all the yeah. time. But to be able to recreate it into something just as magical. In animation. Yeah. To be able to paint nature. It's oh, what yeah. Hayao Miyazaki does so beautifully. Oh, yeah. But no Disney, video. just the opening scene of, of Alice it's in beautiful. the Meadow of it's Daisies. Beautiful. We all just sat and were just gasping. Oh, you're like, I want to be there. I want to be there. Like, why can't I step into that and just lie in those flowers? You feel like you could. And the thing that I've kept thinking about is like the dreamlike aspect of the entire movie. Yep. And how how you you once you start it, you feel like you're in a dream. Just from like the opening credits, you just feel like you're floating on a cloud and you're already so relaxed that anything could happen. Well, and this movie too it. comes out of um, Walt Disney's sort of not really a partnership, but a, a, a working relationship for a short period of time with Salvador Dali. I got a lot of Dolly feel when I was watching um, the movie the other night. There isn't a straight line to be found. It's true. And it's true. And it's and it's perfect. This is a movie that you can just put on without the sound. And you can enjoy it just I recommend as fully. It, you know? In fact. It, we used to, when we would throw parties, we would just put Alice in Wonderland yeah, on the TV, sure. turn the sound off, and then drop the needle on a record or roll a cassette or a CD, uh, <laughs> depending on what year it was. <laughs> but Alice in Wonderland is great eye candy. It's a movie that's just a feast for the eyes. It's true. and It's a wonderful movie about yeah. adolescence, too. Oh, yeah. She's constantly too small or too big, mm. which is the adolescence dilemma. Right. Like, I'm not a small child anymore. I'm too I'm big not, for that. Yeah. But I also feel really small when I'm with adults. I also don't know anything yet. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean... Am I supposed to be an adult in this situation or can I be a child or can I not know about these things? And I think that like a lot of a lot of people come with that with a lot of anxiety, too. And the world being... is, is crazy. She gets to see swindlers, a tea party that's bonkers. Well, that's the thing is it's nonsense. There's and, a queen. There's a and trial. And that's the thing is you get, you get the lesson, right? 
you know, she probably woke up from that dream and forgot all about it and was like, I'm going to go home and have some (laughs) dinner. You know, you are your own teacher, right? Your subconscious is your own teacher. That's what Alice in Wonderland is telling us. You know, listen, listen to your intuition, listen to your subconscious sometimes. Maybe you missed something. And there are all the wonderful moments of flowers. So we talked about the daisies at the beginning. And then toward the middle, we've got the golden afternoon, which is five and a half minutes of just... Beautiful flowers. And a beautiful uh, song. And the arrangements, yeah. And then at the end, they're painting the roses red. Oh, right. I remember feeling that was like the silliest thing ever. I was like, is there any way they could have fooled her? They could have done it right? (laughs) No. No. And that's the point, right? Right. There's no way you could have appeased her. Nothing you're going to do to please the Red Queen. No. The Queen of Hearts. Nope. She's, yeah. She's a piece of work, that one. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. And if we're going to talk about Alice in Wonderland and we're going to pair it with a little something to eat, what is the central meal of Alice in Wonderland? Well, you got to have your tea party. Absolutely. You got to have your tea party. (laughs) I love my tea. I love my tea. I always have. Just give me tea sets and I'll be happy. A lot of flowers come straight out of the garden and can go right into the teapot. That's what I'm saying. Hibiscus. You got rose. You can do anything with flowers. There's a lot of things that you can learn from the flowers. A lot of medicinal flowers. flowers. And then we're going to pair that with um, some edible flower cookies. A really simple recipe of basically just a sugar cookie. Yeah. um, With a little bit of um, orange Lemon and zest. lime zest in there. I think the lime. You know, just some a... citrusy. Whatever you feel like is your favorite flavor to go with, go with it. You know, if you want to do like maybe some lavender syrup, if you want to get like a lavender cookie, you know, it's really about getting creative with your flowers, getting to know what kind of flowers you like. Oh, but onto these little sugar cookies, which you can cut into any delightful yeah. shape. Yeah. You see fit. Oh sure. We're just gonna press little stars, make them into flowers. An edible flower. Now yeah. you can use a marigold. Uh, nasturtium mm. uh, are nice. They don't yeah. have too much of a flavor Mm-mm. to them. Pansies. Uh, you want to make sure that you're using just the blossoms. Yeah, no stems. Take those stems off. Mm-hmm. And they're these really light, papery. Yeah. Spread them on Almost there. Like sprinkle a little sugar on top yeah. to sort of seal them in. Or a little glaze. Oh, glaze, yeah. Over those would be wonderful. Or a little egg, uh, egg, wash. egg wash on top. Yeah. And you get these beautiful, really poppy. Really, yeah. And, and you know, with the citrus flavor and the flower flavor and, and your tea, it's perfect for dunking. You got a, a delightful little afternoon, a golden afternoon. Indeed. So that's our recommendation. Ultimately, we landed on Alice in Wonderland, the 1951 Walt Disney animated classic. And we paired it with a little tea party. Mm-hmm. With some real simple sugar cookies with actual flowers. Real life flowers. Pressed into the top. Grown Maybe pair that with the tea of your choice that comes from your garden. Absolutely. Get creative, people. So make sure you share that with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us at uh, livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. We are all about what you're doing. So that's that's May. Yeah. We'll be back in June with another dinner and a movie with my partner, Ruby Farley. Thanks for being here, Ruby. It's good to be here. Little bread and butterflies kiss their tulips And the sun is like a toy balloon 
There I get up in the morning glories In the golden afternoon There are dizzy daffodils on the hillside Strings of violets are all in tune Tiger lilies love the dandelions In the golden afternoon There are darkened caterpillars and a copper centipede Where the lazy daisies love the very peaceful life they Especially in the month of June There's a wealth of happiness and romance All in the golden afternoon months ago. I was so thrilled with myself when I made the connection between the month of March and the verb to march. As we were emerging from the depths of winter after being holed up in our homes when the world looked almost dead, March arrived and invited us to wake up from our long winter's nap and march back into the world, rested, refreshed, and ready to work. And here we are, at the beginning of May, and I'm realizing again that there's another meaning to play with. It came to me as I was ruminating about the May holidays. I was rolling Mother's Day around in my head when I suddenly remembered the childhood game, Mother May I. And it released such a rush of memories and reflections, as well as an insight into what this month is all about. Possibility. Do you remember the game? One person, the mother, stands at one end of a room or a field, and everyone else, the kids, line up at the opposite end. The mother turns their back on the kids, and one by one, each child takes turns asking the mother a question regarding movement. Each of the questions starts with the phrase, Mother, may I? For example, Mother, may I take three baby steps forward? Mother, may I hop forward two times? Crab walk for five seconds. Take a lamppost step, Cinderella step, umbrella step. Mother, may I run with all my might until I tackle you? To each of these requests, mother has the option to accede, yes, you may, deny, no, you may not, or modify, no, you may not, but you may take three steps to your left. 
The object is for the kids to become the next mother by getting close enough to reach out and touch the current mother. They then become the mother, and the mother becomes a kid again. There's a variation on the rules that I think I prefer. It adds a Simon Says element by having the mother facing the kids and inviting them to move in a certain way. For example, the mother may say, Cameron, take three giant steps toward me. The catch is that Cameron needs to ask, Mother, may I, before he can move. The mother almost always answers, yes, you may. She invited him, after all. And only then is Cameron free to make his move toward motherhood. If the kid forgets to ask, they return to the start. This wrinkle allows for clever mothers to trick sneaky kids by saying things like, You call those giant steps, Cameron? They look like baby steps to me. Go back and try again. And if Cameron forgets to ask permission to try again, he goes all the way back to square one. The best mothers give all the children equal attention. They increase the fun of the game by making the race as thrilling as possible. They help the ones who've fallen behind and gently throttle the ones who are way ahead. But, as you might expect, some mothers play favorites. Some are too easily duped by their kids. Some enforce strict rules. Others are more laissez-faire. And some kids can't wait to be the mother. Others are terrified by the notion. Once this thought came into my mind, I realized that I had not only stumbled onto a great metaphor for the breadth of relationships between kids and their mothers, but I'd also stumbled onto the concept of possibility that's contained in the name of this month. May. May I? Yes, you may. For May is a kind of anything-can-happen month. I may be able to go out without a coat today. I may take the frost covering off my fruit trees. May I take you to the prom? There's no surety in May, the word or the month. But as we move through May, there's a greater and greater possibility that the answer to our queries will be, yes, you may. For the fragile candles we lit back in the dark of December have transformed into the roaring bonfires of the May Day Festival in Castle Hill, Scotland, where the fires and the celebration rage through the night. Here in the U.S., we fire up the grills near the end of the month on Memorial Day weekend, when it may be time to break out the summer swimwear. And somewhere in the middle there, we take time to honor our mothers. What kind of Mother's Day does your mom like? Big Sunday brunch or just some peace and quiet? A spa day or a hike to a mountain peak? Every mom is different, so I hope you checked in to ask Mother May I before you made a plan. In the original Mother's Day proclamation of 1870, Julia Ward Howe made no bones about what she and other mothers like her really wanted. She made her desire perfectly clear. Listen to the words that inspired the first Mother's Day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. 
Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our children shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm. Disarm. The sword is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first, as women, to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them then solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each learning after his own time the sacred impress not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and of humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and at the earliest period consistent with its objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. Julia Ward Howe takes Mother's Day, the day when we celebrate the gift of birth, straight to Memorial Day the day designated to remember our war dead, and drags Memorial Day kicking and screaming back to Mother's Day and demands a radical change in our ideas about both. Mother, may we learn charity, mercy, and patience. Mother, may we be so tender to others that we wouldn't dream of injuring anyone. Mother, may we bewail and remember all the soldiers who chose or were forced to die. Mother, may we learn to honor their lives as well as the life you gave us by refusing to fight wars. Mother, may we disarm. May is a time of radical possibility. It may be the most powerful month of the year, for the year is starting to stand on its own. It's moving from adolescence into adulthood, it's getting ready to produce results. If we allow ourselves to embrace the spirit of the month of May, we too might start to see some fruit taking shape as our plans reach for the sun. May all your plans continue to grow and bear fruit. May you know, like a wise mom, when to step in and when to allow things to take their own course. May you honor your teachers and mothers. May you pause to remember those whose lives were taken in conflict. And may we all learn to embrace peace.
That's our lounge. Go out there and get busy. Take three giant steps forward, you ask? Why, yes, you may. We do hope you'll stay in touch with us. We're on all the social media platforms, and our email address is livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, and we're eager to see pictures of your flower cookies and hear stories about teachers who've shaped your life. And if you've been enjoying the lounge, we invite you to help us keep them coming with a small donation. Just head to our website, livefromtheloungepodcast.com, and click on the Donate button. We thank you kindly for your generosity. Here's the Who Did What. Our lounge is produced by Vincent Ruby's mom, Anne Kloss Farley. Our Mother's Day sketch was written by Carol and Matt Almos, and it featured Alicia Woolerton as Marjorie, 
and Katherine Gibson as Audrey. John Ballinger is our musical director. His album Blue Room is available for listening on Spotify and for purchase on Amazon.com. Double Batch Daddy is our house band. You heard Cal on vocals and bass, Dutch on vocals and guitar, and Bax on drums. You can catch a collection of their live performances on YouTube. Sandy Drinkward and Mike Herman continue teaching at Miguel Contreras Learning Center. We're looking forward to camping with them this summer. Ruby Farley is my partner in most things cinematic and culinary. Check out her photo series of Halloween Scream Queens at rubyfarley.com. And special thanks to Jennifer Hale, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, Nikki Breyer, and Julie Millette for reading out the Mother's Day Proclamation of 1870 by Julia Ward Howe. I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. <laughs>